High School Slumber Party is brought to you by the Cage Club Podcast Network. For all things Cage Club related, head on over to cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. Ho, 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 and welcome to another Christmas edition of High School Slumber Party, the podcast where me and some friends look back at our teenage years through the lens of some iconic high school-centric films. I'm Brian Rodriguez, and the party's still at my place this evening. But first, school's still in session. I'm sorry, you're not on break. And we have some homework to chat about. This was your assignment, and I would like to see the results... Hope you are all enjoying your Christmas holiday or enjoyed your Christmas holiday if you do celebrate. If you don't celebrate, well, hope you're having a happy Friday. <laughs> I apologize for the little bit of late delivery of this episode. Now you've been noticing I've been a little late lately, but we'll talk more about that on the second half of the episode after we play the old episode. But apologies today as it is Christmas Day and... Yesterday was Christmas Eve, and I don't know, I was editing, but I had a whole Scrooge moment. No, 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 three ghosts didn't visit me, but I felt like some of them did, like conscious-wise. I was like, why am I editing? I should be talking with my family, spending time with loved ones, of course, safely, that is. So I did a little of that here and there, visited my mom, spent time with the family here, spent time with my dogs. It was a good time. I made time for the episode, I edited the episode, but when I went to visit my mother, I literally brought my computer there, again, social distance and safe, but I brought my computer there, left my computer there, I wasn't there too long, and when I wanted to actually post the episode, realized I had left my computer there, I live in Manhattan, she lives in Long Island, so I had to drive all the way to Long Island, get it back, go back to my apartment, post it. It was a whole thing. But at the end of the day, I had a wonderful Christmas, all things considered. Look, this Christmas doesn't feel like Christmas past. I'm not doing all the pomp and circumstances. I'm not having a real high school slumber party, Christmas party. But, you know, it wasn't all bad, to be honest with you. I do miss the traditions, though. I have to, have to admit that. Well, it looks like we have a call on the special Christmas phone here. Let's try to answer it. The Christmas Zoom. Well, we're not going to sponsor any, uh, any <laughs> platforms. But Kyle, it's you. You actually made it for Christmas. I actually have a guest. I know not in person, but I'm so happy that you're here. How you been? How's your Christmas so far? It's it's lonely. You know, I made I made all these cookies for Santa. I don't know if he's coming. Uh, just like my hundredth episode, I am all alone. <laughs> well, I hope he came already, as this comes out December twenty fifth. But oh, okay, I made the cookies today. I guess Santa went hungry two nights ago. I guess that's what... the foodie films man. 
I've just been Santa drinking cookies. way too much eggnog. <laughs> no coquito, as we do in my home. No eggnog. Eggnog. Oh, you're against. You're against the coquito. I'm not. Ag- I'm just nogging that egg. <laughs> fair, fair. Well, so happy that you're here for Christmas. You've come over every Christmas, and I know it's not in person, but it's close enough. It's what we can do for 2020. So happy you're here. But you gotta say, right, like. Things are pretty lonely this Christmas. Indeed they are. Some may say they're blue. Very blue, in <laughs> fact. I mean, like, you can talk to your family, you can do all you can, but you gotta stay safe, and the both of us are staying safe, and, uh, yeah, I, I just wanted to, you know, check in with you, and I'm glad you called, because I was gonna call you anyway. I mean, if you had to describe your Christmas, what would it be like? I'll have a blue Christmas oh, without you. I'll be so blue just thinking about you. Decorations of red on a Christmas tree won't be the same, dear, if you're not here with me. And when those blue snowflakes start falling, that's when those blue memories stop calling you'll be doing alright with your Christmas of white but I have a blue 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 Christmas you know what Kyle this year is going to be different from any other year and it's Pretty tough on everyone. I know what you're talking about, Brian. Just seeing all my family members sitting down, sharing some terrific meals, and in particular, my grandmother's cream puffs. Mm, that damn sounds good. You'll be doing alright with your Christmas of wine, but I. Have a blue, 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 blue Christmas. Thank you very much. Brian, was I sensing a little bit of the 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 Brooklyn Elvis? Neil <laughs> the Jewish Elvis? The Jewish Neil Elvis, Diamond? fuck. <laughs> that sounds <laughs> anti-Semitic, Brooklyn. It's okay. On their bridges they say oi vey. <laughs> Literally, the sign say every day, so that's okay. <laughs> I sense a yes. little bit of bagel in your throat. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, you can't say. <laughs> I, I mean, I don't know. Maybe the Neil Diamond came out. Not the right holiday for him, but you know, it is a it is a different Christmas this year. It feels a little different, but hopefully, the magic and love of Christmas just spreads through all our hearts. And yeah, I don't know. But wow, you brought up food, Kyle. I do do miss. That good old Christmas food, 
spending those big Christmases with my family. We have a big family in my house, so we couldn't really do the same thing this year. We won't be doing the same thing this year. Uh, yeah, I mean, how about you? What do you usually eat on Christmas? Well, Christmas Eve is always the tradition of my father's mother's, that, that grandmother. The seven fishes. No, nah, it was never truly. I think back in the day she kind of did that, but never even like that religiously to the seven fishes and everything. All right. You're the foodie films man. Uh-huh. You host a food-centric podcast. Yeah. Right now, you got to give me seven fishes. What seven fishes are you doing? And remember, the seven fishes aren't actually like biological fishes. It's I just understand. seven seafoods. Yes. 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 Okay. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, definitely a bronzina. Okay, throw okay. A, I'm gonna throw a nice the fish white... of the day everywhere. Exactly. So, <laughs> uh, a nice, uh, a nice white fish. Which white fish? Uh, I don't know. Maybe uh, some uh, hmm, flounder. You don't flounder? Okay, okay. Yeah, flounder. Um, and then we're gonna go shrimp. How, come on! Wait, wait, wait. Let's back up. You can't just say shrimp. You gotta say how the shrimp is prepared. Oh, I'm sorry. Shrimp cocktail. Oh, just a shrimp cocktail. Okay, yeah, cool. shrimp cocktail. I'm down with shrimp cocktail. I love yeah. shrimp cocktail. Okay. Some fried shrimp calamar. Fried? Okay. Yeah. Um. Okay, that's four. What else am I going to do? What are my other fishes? A nice whole grilled snapper, red snapper. Mm. That's five. Can I make a suggestion for six? Yeah, please. One of my favorite fishes, swordfish. Ooh, swordfish! Yeah, nice swordfish fillet. And then you know I'm gonna go. I, th- I think this this will count. A nice paella Ooh. with clams. What are we at? What number are we at? That's seven. I hit strong but, with paella. Uh, I'm really surprised you didn't go with one of your favorite dishes of all time. And I say this because I've seen you order it many times and been very happy or very disappointed. The lobster roll. Yeah, it's not a, also not a winter food. <laughs> you know what? That's a really good point. It's not a winter food. I don't. I don't think of it as a winter food. But yeah, maybe. I mean, maybe I'll take. Uh, what was one? one of the, one of those early fishes? One of those early fishes. I'll, I'll replace with not a lobster roll, but a, a nice steamed lobster. Not lobster. Okay. Rolls. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. 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 Well, you know, seven fishes aside, what do you usually eat on, uh, on the, Christmas? On Eve? the day. Or on the eve, or, or eve day, whatever. Well, yeah, eve eve is the Italian. So from there, from you know, from some seafood, the you know, any pasta and like the you know the mutts and the prosciutto and all that. Uh, my, my grandmother's homemade uh, spinach raviolis. Uh, sometimes it, it switches between chicken parm or eggplant parm. Definitely some meatballs, and then dessert is always like. Homemade chocolate chip cookies, homemade—I mean, everything's homemade. Uh, cheesecake and those cream puffs. So that's Christmas Eve, and then Christmas Day. So that's usually with my dad's side of the family. Christmas Day, mom's side of the family, and it's as pretty white American traditional as you can get with uh, like ham, sometimes a turkey breast thrown in there, uh, mac and cheese, green beans. You know, just your typical. Sp- sides but done 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 pretty well so uh sweet oh sweet sweet potatoes with marshmallows that's actually one of my favorite things i love sweet potatoes with marshmallows mm. and the gooeyness that comes with that and then like sliding so like gooey. the 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 ham through it it's so good the saltiness the sweetness perfect so awesome. believe it or not like in the latin tradition like holiday hams are not very common 
But like for the holidays, berni, which is like you know the pork, yeah, is, is yeah. very common, and that's what's usually made. And it's funny that they're both of the same animal, but feel very different, right? Like I feel like oh, an yeah. alien so wouldn't totally think they're totally right, different, yeah, completely. <laughs> it's crazy that those two meat, it, those should be different animals. Like a ham, I don't get it. And I'm called a ham often. I don't understand, like, an actual, like, ham, like a honey-baked ham or whatever. And then, like, like a How needle. is that from the same animal? I don't understand. I've been, you know, and we've been to, you know, whole pig, uh, you know, barbecues. I just, I don't understand it. I don't understand it. I want an expert to, like, take take the, the pig, like, when we're looking at it and be like, this is the ham. This is where it comes from. And this is like the other stuff. Like I, I want to know where it's it's the it's in the it's in the leg and everything because you see the ham bone and everything like the ham bone. Yeah, ham hock, a ham hock. Yeah, exactly. But I just I just don't understand like the process of like that versus again seeing like the breakdown of a of a pig like at a you know at a whole pig <laughs> barbecue and stuff like that. I just and just that the texture you know because again when you see the when you get the one with the bone we're not talking like deli ham where it's like magical like bologna just like packed together (laughs) (laughs) it's not you know you're not like uh is this all pork uh yeah no no no. i i know you mean like a holiday ham yeah which you know yeah i don't get it but again something we're definitely going to miss this year and of course we're gonna miss you coming to the high school slumber party festivities but it's 2020 we get it at this point and you've had some great episodes on high school slumber party for 2020 including hello the last episode we did oh another round yeah yeah another round with mads mickelson like we talked about it and i enjoyed it but i don't know kyle but i don't know if you're in the same boat as me but the more i've thought about the movie the more i've enjoyed the movie like even since we talked i'm like damn that was a fucking good movie it's a great movie it really is not to get all dour but it's just like there's i don't know the past this 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 decade obviously there's been some really fantastic films that have come out but i don't know like there just haven't been as many as just that really resonated with me is like back in like the kind of the late 2000s i don't know there was a certain run of movies that are just some of my all-time favorites and uh this one just really landed well in kind of the just getting to see mads as you know rarely as at least you know compared to american cinema in a in a normal type role normal character no supernatural powers or what have you fantastical elements of the story and uh yeah between that and then just uh, i mean an interesting story plot and then that ending that ending is just like i i i you know if i'm by myself whatever i end up doing for new year's eve i am playing what a life which i didn't get to say in that in the episode i don't think either of us really mentioned it like in the literal sense of we were talking about the ending and we love him dancing but like the song itself the title what a life like it just yeah it's just it's i love how literal it is you know me like i'm not i'm (laughs) i'm not a deep person thematically and in storytelling and so just like that is face value the song is even you know it's a dutch song but it's english uh lyrics and just what a life and just that reflecting in him 
doing that jazz ballet. Fantastic. Fantastic. If you guys haven't heard that episode, check out that episode. And yeah, I agree with you. We didn't really talk about the music too much in the episode. When I replayed it at the beginning of the episode and I was looking up a song and then I was playing it on my Alexa, I'm like, damn, powerful moment. I'm like you cooking know? to it now. I know you've got like a banister like in your apartment. Are you doing those moves, those Mads moves? <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't I don't have the Mads moves, but great movie. And just wanna, you know, ask you a question now that we're talking about movies. What yes, are your I would favorite Mads <laughs> No, I that was not my question. <laughs> what are your favorite holiday movies? Like what do you have to watch every holiday season? Because everyone's different. Oh boy, um, boy, putting me on the spot. Uh, definitely Home Alone, it's particularly the first one, and just like, and you can just even show me. Whoa, John, whoa, John. whoa, 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 whoa! As a New Yorker, I'm offended. Home Alone two, one of the great New York movies. Oh Jesus Christ, Brian! You know, come on. Um, <laughs> breaks my heart. I, I I recently like I shared a thing of uh, there's this artist Scott Lava that does these little illustrations of fictional characters usually and he had uh kevin and the pigeon lady and i posted an instagram saying like yeah kevin didn't you know he just gave her an ornament didn't say want to come up to my hotel suite and have a warm Christmas <laughs> day, take, take a shower i'll buy you some clothes and then this past uh the the past saturday night live they they did the exact same sketch where he's <laughs> like he offers the same things but yeah so home alone wait, 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 wait. quick 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 question on yeah. that if your girlfriend currently danielle who who you live with who you've talked about on your show and my show and we're obviously we're all friends we all hang out but if she christmas morning gave you one of those turtle dove uh whatever ornaments would you consider that a proposal <laughs> i would try to do my best mr duncan and go what's this or, I'm sorry. <laughs> i don't know that's pretty proposal to me that's pretty legit like that that would be like is that, is that, I guess I guess is that the female equivalent of a proposal <laughs> uh, or, you would know. you be okay with that if society from now on said that if a woman wanted to propose she'd have to give a turtle dove to the guy yeah a half of a turtle dove um, set. <laughs> it's not a half okay it's not half of a turtle dove there's two turtle doves okay it's not like two wings combined and you yeah know. no I know yeah <laughs> and you're Captain Planet suddenly no <laughs> so sorry what other Christmas films do you, do you have to watch in the holiday season uh christmas vacation and it's honestly it's really for like like home alone i was gonna say like give me just john candy playing the clarinet is fantastic like christmas vacation i just want to hear like millie kanicki laka and cousin eddie and everything that comes with that uh elf elf is a big one santa the santa claus uh, and, and then, of course, the classic cartoons between the claymation ones and how the Grinch stole Christmas. Yeah, those are I'm pretty, uh, you know, I don't go, I'm not a wonderful life. I'm not, a. you know, I don't fall into that camp. Miracle on 34th Street, not your yeah, jam. Yeah, not really. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I'm with you. We've had some great classic Christmas movies come out this century, but last century as well. I love those Rankin and Bass People say they're claymation, but they're not really claymation. They're stop motion animation. Yes, that's that's true. Yes, but they, you know, everyone always says claymation. The only claymation one I know is the uh, a claymation Christmas starring the California Raisins. Have you seen that one? <laughs> yes, I have. <laughs> <laughs> it's epic. I feel, I feel like that's a foodie film. It stars. It raisins. is. Yeah, it's true. 
<laughs> one of the Christmases you're gonna you have to pull that out of the old Santa's old bag to do because that's so <laughs> it's like dinosaurs in it too. Like I don't remember exactly. I haven't seen that one in a long time. I don't think that one has passed through like the tradition to like. Yeah, it I, came. Like, it came out when Reagan like had a war on drugs, <laughs> and then people, and then just every single animator ever just took every drug because they didn't think it was going to be around anymore. <laughs> and, then they, and then they made that. Right, like your niece is probably not going to watch that ever in her life. No, she'll look at it and go, "Wow, this is racist." well kyle thank you for zooming with me on christmas and i know you mentioned it on our another round episode but why don't you let everyone who's listening right now to high school's lumber party know the status of foodie films because big news on your uh, latest episode yes so uh right before two days before christmas i released my hundredth episode which was just me a la carte and uh you know i ranted for a good like 30 minutes or so and kind of just reminisced on past episodes past guests of course mentioned you and i i did account oh actually i think i have the uh the notepad in front of me yeah you were on one two three four five six seven eight nine ten eleven twelve episodes wow out of hundred I have a long list of what I want to be on. So. Exactly, and there's still there's so many that like weren't even like on the initial list of just like yeah I'd really you know that I want you to be on and that you asked to be on. So many more to come with you. But in the meantime, uh, as I announced on that episode, little holiday hiatus, which just means I'm kind of taking some time to backlog some episodes, just uh, so I'm not playing catch up every week. And, uh, yeah, so hopefully coming back, I'm, you know, I'm starting now around this holiday season and I'm thinking I'll come back around Valentine's day, come back strong, find a good movie, foodie film to talk about then. And then I'll have some great first cut episodes and other food films already back cataloged and just, uh, yeah, listen to the episode. Just like I said, reminisce. And then I also talk some ideas that I would love to do in the future and uh, definitely summer post pandemic but nonetheless some some good ideas some good episodes that will be coming out in the future definitely looking forward to that looking forward to talking more films in your show and uh hopefully accompanying you on some of your uh foodie adventures around the country i don't know we'll see but we you know we can't put a date on it now we just have to but we know what cities we want to you know take over (laughs) (laughs) absolutely absolutely uh kyle thank you so much for zooming in oh thanks for having me christmas uh it's it's been fun and i can't wait for you know 2021 i don't know i got a little feeling it's gonna be a little bit better than 2020 that's just my guess i've i've got a good feeling too i'll I'll knock on the uh yuletide lock (laughs) well hope you have a wonderful christmas and can't wait 2021 I, I'm sure we'll spend Christmas together again. Yes. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays. Happy New Year. Whoa, whoa. The bell doesn't dismiss you. I dismiss you. You weren't enjoying our conversation with Kyle? It's great that he called in for Christmas. Thank you so much, Kyle, for all your support and love. And thank you for calling in. And thank you, you know, for bringing a little music, a little Christmas music to High School Slumber Party. But I guess before I let you go on this old adventure we call High School Slumber Party, 
every, well, bi-weekly for now. I guess I better tell you what your homework was. <laughs> it's about time, right? Did you listen to the aforementioned episode with Kyle on Monday? We talked another round. It was fun, but you heard all about it right there. I don't need to say more about it, but I hope you watched today's movie. Better watch out. It's a Christmas horror film. It was suggested by Joey Lewandowski. I can't wait to talk about it with him because it was actually a lot of fun. A twist, a surprise. If you don't want this movie spoiled, don't listen. Actually, please listen because we need your support here in High School Slumber Party. Speaking of support, I hope you hit that subscribe button wherever you're listening. Google Play, Apple Podcast. Oh, it's not Google Play anymore. Damn it. I had like three episodes straight where I got it right. Google Podcast. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. And while you're there, write us a nice little review, if it allows. And if it allows, please give us a five-star rating, or wherever the top rating is on whatever place you're listening to this podcast. And remember, you could always listen to this magical, magical Christmas podcast and all our episodes at the flagship. That's cageclub.me, that's cageclub.me. Joey has a lot of shows on there. Joey is the godfather of the Cage Club Podcast Network. And I can't wait, once again, for you to hear this Christmas episode with him. One more thing, class participation is a huge, huge part of your grade. Make sure you participate. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. But I think it's about time for some Yuletide magical fun and cheer in the form of talking about a horror film. So pack your favorite jammies. Tell your mother you're sleeping at Brian's, because we're about to get our Christmas party on. And I'm going to leave you with a song from the movie, a classic, the Ramones, Queen's Band, Merry Christmas, I Don't Want to Fight Tonight. Class dismissed. Merry Christmas, I don't want to fight tonight with... So, Joey, I, I love the kind of pseudo-history of this episode today. Not that it's long or anything, but I forgot what we were talking about. And you just l- literally reference like, oh, better watch out, which we've done before. I'm like, what are you talking <laughs> about, man? You're like, oh, the, Chris- the teen Christmas movie we've talked about? The horror film? I'm like, what? And you're like, we-, we didn't talk about that? Which, again, amazes me to this day that you kind of Mandela-affected that. Do you recall that? Like, <laughs> Yeah, we were talking, it was the end of some episode, we were talking about Christmas, it might have been, I think it was The Babysitter 2, and I think we- Well, that were, makes sense. I think we were just talking about, I'm like, it reminds me of like, Better Watch Out, you're like, wait, what's that? I was like, no, we talked about it. And you're like, no, we didn't. And I was like, ah, I thought we did. But I think I must have been conflating, because I even looked back last night when I watched this movie, at like, your Christmas episodes in the past few years, and- I guess I just, because I saw both this and Anna and the Apocalypse, which I know we covered because you, me, and Mike saw that in theaters together and we went back to his house and recorded an episode there. Like, I had seen both of those separate years at Fantastic Fest, and so I guess my brain, like, correlated 
Christmas horror movie with the show and was like, oh, yeah, we talked about both, but we, we didn't. And it's so funny to me because, like, I'm always talking about how there's not enough, like, teenage Christmas films. And I didn't even get this one in my research. So I'm glad uh, you brought it up and I'm glad I was able to watch it. Before we dive in, though, please introduce yourself in the classic High School Slumber Party way, Joey. Of course, Joey Lewandowski, 100 and Central Regional High School Class of 2006. Go Red Devils. Woohoo. So first off, I I hope you're doing well. I should have said that before. And congratulations, as you mentioned. That's two out of three Christmas episodes that you're on? Yeah, I guess. Is there... Have you done other Christmas... What are the Christmas ones? I mean, Tall the Boys is kind of a Christmas episode, right? Or no? No, and we just did that when it came out. So christmas e movies, like the Harry Potter one we did, took place around Christmas, so we did that. Kyle and I did like a Netflix Christmas one, Let It Snow, last year together. Joe 2 and I did a Hallmark Christmas movie once. So they're scattered throughout, but... And in the Apocalypse was like the first Christmas special. And again, last year we just did a bunch. And this year, nope, it's better watch out. And this comes out like what, Christmas Day, I think? This episode, yes, comes out on Christmas Day. Yeah. Yeah, yeah Christmas Day. It's, these next two weeks are going to be very listened to, right? Because you have a Friday that's Christmas Day. And then you have a New Year's Day episode the following week, but whatever. It's not like it expires. Yeah, so better watch out. You've told the story a little bit, but let's pretend people did not listen to that previous episode with you. Sure. As I recall, as you mentioned, you saw it on Fantastic Fest, and it had a different title at the time? It was called Safe Neighborhood, which is not a bad title, but I remember after the movie, like, going up to the director and just be like, hey, that was a great movie, or whatever. He's like, oh, thanks, man. I don't remember if he's Australian, because I know I'm sure you've read that, like, this movie was shot in Australia, I believe, mm-hmm. because, like, all the doorknobs are, like, crazy high. Like, it's just a weird thing. But I remember going up to him and be like, oh, hey, thing, And, like, just, you know, because he's around, like, because directors are there, they're just there to talk to people or whatever and i was like oh great movie i really enjoyed it or whatever and then i leave and then you know they announce years later that like this horror christmas movie better watch out i'm like oh this sounds cool i was like wait a minute i've seen this movie and it's (laughs) called safe neighborhood so i tweeted him and i'm like you change it to this like yeah the more obvious one was like right in front of us the entire time like better watch out is such a better christmas horror title than safe neighborhood right but yeah <laughs> safe neighborhood has nothing of christmas in it better watch out is an excellent title yeah. and you brought you brought up the australian thing he's not technically australian but his mother is okay so that that was like a big production fact with the movie you're absolutely right they shot it in australia but it was actually like ready to go in south carolina for like a much less budget i think the budget was even like under a million wow at that point. okay and somebody yeah a five hundred thousand dollar budget at that time and someone from, like, the Australian Film Board found out about the movie and – or whatever. I, I'm making up the Australian Film Board. Someone from Australia who gives money to direct Sure, okay. Found out that his mother was Australian, so he technically counted as, like, giving to an Australian director, despite him not being born or from Australia. Okay. So, like, hey – can you move the whole production here and we'll give you $3 million instead? So he was like, all right. So they ended up casting a lot of Australian actors. And like you said, the doorknob thing is a really fun fact. But it takes place, obviously, in the U.S. They have American accents. So they didn't, like, change it to be an Australian story. But, I mean, if you go from $500,000 to $3 million, you're going to take it. Yeah, and I don't think this is like a – I mean, even $3 million is not a wildly expensive movie to make because mm. this is all shot in one house. I mean, it looks really nice. Like, they did a nice job with the lighting and the cinematography and stuff like that. But, you know, it's essentially just one set, not that much special effects. Like, you know, some blood spatter and stuff, whether that's practical or CGI. Like, they still got away looking pretty good for relatively no money. 
Absolutely, and it's a really small cast, so, I mean, that helps as well. But maybe that money went to Patrick Warburton and Virginia Madsen? I don't know. Because, like, it does seem, not suspect, but it is interesting that they would be in a a film like this. Not that they're, like, the biggest stars in the world. I doubt that they were in the $500,000 version, you know. So let's, before we again talk about the rest of the four other cast members, (laughs) I don't want to forget to read the back of the DVD. Or this is a Blu-ray that I found a picture of. And it's of. a little spoilery, too. Do you own this Blu-ray? I do own the Blu-ray. Now, this is a tough movie. I'm glad you bring up spoilers, because right off the bat, I'll tell you, I was completely shocked with the way it went. So, let me see. I haven't read it. You might be home, but you're not alone. Is this the same one you have? So yes, 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 yes. Okay. That's like the header at the top of the thing, right? Yes, yep. yes. In this fresh and gleeful twisted spin on home invasion horror, babysitter Ashley must defend her young charges... When intruders break into the house, one snowy night, or so she thinks. Yeah. You're absolutely right. Why put the oh, so she thinks? That sucks. Like, that's, yeah. I mean, so <laughs> what I love about this movie, and I don't want to jump ahead of the other things you want to talk about, is that, like, it really pushes fast forward on a lot of things. Like, the, the twist essentially comes half an hour in, right? When she realizes that this home invader is just her, the kid she's babysitting, his friend. Because they had set up this whole elaborate plan to apparently, you know, scare her into hooking up with this 12-year-old, right? Like, she's 17, he's 12, he's in love with his babysitter, and he wants to scare the shit out of her so he can act like a man, chase this guy off, and then apparently bed his babysitter. Like, that's seemingly the plan. <laughs> and so they have the friend be this home invader with, like, a fake gun or whatever, and half an hour in, she's like, I know, like, stop it, what are you guys doing? Like, I realize, I recognize who you are, and then that's when the kid goes full psycho. So it's not like you're spoiling the end of the movie, but you're spoiling, you know, if you don't read that, you might think the whole movie is this home invasion thing, and then you're, like, shocked by that twist. But if you read the back of the DVD, it's like, you kind of know that's coming, maybe, or something like that's coming. I was one of those people. I didn't read anything about the movie, I just wanted to watch it. And I was shocked when that happened. Honestly, the first half hour, I wasn't liking it that much because I thought it was just some, not boring, but some home invasion film that at this point I've seen a ton of times. Right. Especially, I had a whole babysitter uh, month on this podcast, you know? So it wasn't anything new. So I was like, oh, okay. But once we got the twist you just spoke of, I was like, holy shit. Because one of the things it was building to was, I was like, wait, am I supposed to like this kid? He kind of seems like rapey and gross. Mm -hmm. And then I'm like, it's 2016. Maybe like that was like funny at the time. You know, I don't know. I was trying to process it in my head. And then once I found out he was the bad guy, if you will, I was like, yes. Not that I'm supporting him, you know, but I'm like, oh, this is so much more of a compelling story. Yeah. And I think by the end, like, there's still a version of this movie. I mean, you, it, it's not a normal one, but there's still a version of this movie where, like, you're rooting for the kid because until the very end, you're like, this motherfucker might get away with it. Uh-huh. Like, he is so good at covering up his tracks. And, like, in a weird kind of twisted way, you almost have to give it up to him for, like, you're such a psychopath. You look like you're going to get away with this, right? But, you know, and we'll get to the end when we get to the ending, but, like, he doesn't. But there's a time where you're like, I almost like begrudgingly have to give you the respect of like, you almost (laughs) did this and you're 12. Well, there's a lot of direct and indirect allusions to Home Alone. And I know he's older than like Kevin McAllister in those films. But um, recently Mike told me about a movie, and I forgot the name, I'm sorry, about like if Clark Kent arrived here and he actually was a bad guy like as a kid. Like this is almost like the Home Alone story. So Brightburn, right? Like that Mike Mills. Brightburn, Brightburn, yes. Brightburn. And this this story, though, is almost like 
wait a minute, what if we looked at things from a different perspective? I know it's not the same as Home Alone. There's not, like, robbers and stuff. But in terms of, like, usually I'm rooting for the kid, right? <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Because the babysitter, she doesn't come off as, like, the nicest, sweetest Mary Sue kind of person in the first third of the film. So I, again, I was just mesmerized and I really, really enjoyed this twist. Don't want to forget about the cast. The babysitter's name is Ashley. She's played by Olivia de Jong. Probably de Jong, probably. De Jong, yeah. Australian actor. I think people are really gonna, well, you'll certainly be talking about her next year. She's she was cast as Priscilla Presley in the Elvis movie. Oh, okay. Is that the one with Hanks as Captain Ron? Yes. Yeah, Hanks as Captain. What's his name? The cap. Uh, is it Captain Colonel, Ron? It's Colonel. not Captain Ron. No, Captain Ron is like that. Uh, what's it called? It's like a Kurt Russell character, I think. Elvis <laughs> as Captain. It's oh. Colonel Tom Parker. Is Tom Hanks? Colonel Tom Parker. Yeah. Okay. Yes. yes. <laughs> yeah, she's Priscilla Presley. Okay. Which. Shouldn't surprise anyone, it's a Baz Luhrmann film, and he loves cast Australians. So she's Riley Keough's mom, in a sense, is what you're saying. Who, uh, is Riley Keough, where is she? Riley Keough is Elvis' granddaughter. Oh, in real life. Yes, yeah, 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 yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I was like, I forgot. That's a little bit of a jump, but yes, in in a sense, she's she's playing (laughs) Riley Keough's mom. She's playing. Yes, she's playing her, I believe. Just like how David well, Schwimmer is Kim Kardashian's dad. <laughs> yes, yes, okay. <laughs> yes, the, the fake real family tree was getting me. He'll always be um, your Uncle Juice. <laughs> I, I know she's not too well known. I wasn't too familiar with her. but She's in The she's... Visit, that M. Night Shyamalan movie, The Visit, with the friend. Mm-hmm. They play brother and sister. Yeah, so I read that. I hadn't seen that film, but it's apparently, good. yeah, they're both in it. And that brother you're talking about is Ed... Oxenbald Garrett. Yeah. Yep. So, yeah. And that's what he's most known for. The main bad guy here, the kid Luke, he's played by Levi Miller, who um, he was in A Wrinkle in Time. Mm -hmm. But I knew him from that. I mean, I didn't see the movie, but he was Peter Pan in that Pan movie. Oh, okay. So that's really where, like, I recognized his face from. Yeah. Also an Australian. So keeping that Australian thing up. I'm sure to get the money, you had to cast, like, X amount of Australians, too. Yeah, I think that's, like, a thing that Canada does, that a lot of states mm-hmm. now do, too. It's like, hey, essentially make our country look good in terms of the arts, and we'll give you money. Like, I think it might even just be, like, you know, the the, the, the country itself, or, like, a province or whatever in Canada that's like, hey, uh, you're making an Australian movie with Australian actors. Here's some money. Yeah, and it makes sense. Mm-hmm. I know what you're, what you're talking about in Canada is not just movies. I know they have to do it for TV as well. Yep. Like X, X amount of their television programming has to be like majority Canadian actors and Canadian production crew and stuff. So Alex Mickick plays Ricky, and he's not too well known. But uh, Jeremy, who's not in the film a lot, the other ex-boy or the ex-boyfriend, if you will, he's played by, how do you pronounce this? Dacra? Ray. Yeah, Dacra, Dacre, Montgomery, but he's been in a ton of stuff. He was in the the new Power Rangers movie and uh, Stranger Things as well. Oh, and you know what also he's going to be in? The upcoming Elvis movie. Elvis! Yeah, look at that, a reunion. Elvis. <laughs> Steve Binder, I don't know who that is, but, oh, he filmed the, he was the director for the Elvis comeback special. Oh, uh, okay. Well, that's pretty cool. Okay. Yeah, so, uh, pull in from this Australian, uh pipeline here <laughs> and then i mentioned them before the parents are played by the wonderful patrick warburton and the ever talented one of my favorite actresses virginia madsen so that was cool they didn't do too much here but uh great voices great little rapport not a big cast and i'm totally fine with that and not a lot of production notes either you have probably more of them from from you know what you've already shared 
watching it on Fantastic Fest, and the only other thing I had was why it was an Australian film, which honestly is great because we can just talk about the movie. Yeah. So, uh, you know, we've gotten into it a little bit. Um, let's talk about this whole first 30 minutes where they're setting things up for what the night's going to be. I mean, when you first saw it, if you can think back to all all the way then. Sure, okay. So some places list 2016, some places list 2017. I'm assuming that Fantastic Fest was 2016 yep. and then like maybe the wide mm-hmm. okay, and the wide release is 2017. Can you remember what you thought <laughs> in 2016 when you first saw it? I remember being surprised Fantastic Fest is like a blur, and I'm sure like I that's really the only film festival I'm familiar with, but I'm sure they're all equally a blur in that you watch like Fantastic Fest, I watched thirty eight movies in eight days, right? And Crazy. I did the same kind of thing at South by the first year I was down there. I watched like twenty two movies in eight days, but that was all exclusively after work and on the weekends. Like I'd work till five and go see three movies and then go to sleep and wake up and go to work and do it again. So like wow. in that regard movies that are good feel great and movies that are not good like it's a weird thing where because you're it's the excitement of being at a premiere of something like things that are good feel even better and then when you watch it alone at home you're like oh that's either it's either still good or like oh i was kind of like buoyed by the hype of the crowd right like i saw turbo kid which i don't know if it's a high school movie or not i don't i mean i don't think so but i was like this is this may be my favorite movie of all time because the crowd was amazing and then i watched it at the end of the year and i was like oh yeah like, i still really like this but like it came out the same year as fury road and i'm like oh no that's you know a perfect movie and this is not right so like <laughs> it, it, film festivals are weird in that they make you love things but also just you get so tired that it all kind of blends and blurs together and so some stuff stands out i remember really liking this but i don't think it was my favorite one that year i was trying to look at what movies came out that year in Fantastic Fest. And, like, it was up there, but it wasn't, you know, not my favorite, but I still really liked it. And I remember being surprised, pleasantly surprised, by, like, because not everything at these kind of festivals, especially with, like, a horror and genre festival, like, there are so many movies that just, in that genre, that just aren't good. And you kind of have to sit through a lot of shit sometimes. And it's worth it when you find a thing like this that's really good because you're like oh that's this is why you do it right but it it didn't mean like just because it was showing there i wasn't like this is going to be a slam dunk so you're still kind of a little bit nervous and i don't remember if like you i was like oh this is kind of like genre rote and trope and predictable or whatever and then the twist saved it but i remember being really pleasantly surprised by the movie a little segue here but i've always been curious about this i've never been to a film festival again aside from like my high school film festival like you know i'm talking about a real film festival no offense northern valley old japan high school go golden knights but um how do you decide what movies to see do you just pick at random are you like going into a festival being like, oh, I want to see this movie? Is it just time based because of, like you said, when you're free? Like, how many years did you do Fantastic Fest? I did and then... Fantastic Fest four years, I think. Twice when I was in living, twice when I was living there, and then I flew back, I think, for two more. How do you make a decision on what you want to see? Is it is there scouting or is it just like random? So now I don't know. I think Fantastic Fest is a little bit different and a little bit strange in this way, but it actually works really well. And from what I've heard from other people who were there, the old system used to be terrible, and I think they just fixed it in a way. But they announced in the months leading up when they were still doing this, because it's put on by the Draft House, it's put on by, you know, the Alamo, whatever. 
so like three times in like three months before, two months before, and the month before the show, they announce, or the festival, they announce like a third of the movies. So they're like, hey, here's 30 movies that we're adding. Sometimes they do like, this is our opening night one. It's usually a bigger one. Here's our closing night one. It's a bigger one. And so it's so early that sometimes you get buzz like Toronto, like TIFF is a little bit before. So you can kind of hear stuff that's coming out of there. Sometimes stuff goes from Sundance or whatever, but Every film festival, not just Fantastic Fest, is like they pride themselves on being as many premieres as they can be. So the ideal is a world premiere that no one's seen this movie before, and then like a U.S. premiere, and then like a regional premiere, and then like even like, like hey, it's a Texas premiere, like it's never been shown in Texas. It's like, okay, cool, whatever. But <laughs> they, it's a lot of stuff that you, generally there's not a lot out there about it. So you kind of know, oh, this is a director I really like, or oh, there's an actor in this that I really like, or whatever, right? Or I hear some good buzz about it. So you kind of have an idea of what you want to see and then for fantastic that's the way they do it now is there are different tiers of badges like there's a fan badge which means that you can see every movie like you there's 38 or 39 slots or whatever and you can see a movie or a live show or whatever's in that slot you just pick one but there's a super fan badge and what that means is it gets like a couple hundred dollars more so instead of like 500 it's like 800 dollars for the eight days but you get to pick you get to see your first pick every slot so you also are always in the auditorium where there's a Q&A. So sometimes, you know, if there's a director of a movie, they'll be in a room and like you'll still see it in another theater, but it'll be like telecast. And so it's cool, but it's not like you're in the room with whoever, right? Like I was in the front row for Bone Tomahawk where Kurt Russell wasn't there because he like tweaked his knee or something. But like Matthew Fox was there and Richard Jenkins was there and Patrick Wilson was there and the director was there. And I'm like, I'm like eight feet away from these people, right? It's like, oh, that's cool. So... As a super fan, you you figure out in each time slot, and there's like four or five a day, depending on the day of the festival, you get to pick what movies you want. You put them in order, and you just kind of scout out and some, like, some movies only show once. Like the opening night movie is usually a little bit bigger, and the closing night movie is usually a little bit bigger, and they only show those each once. And there's like secret screenings oh, wow. that are like, you know, it's some, like, uh, what secret screening did I see? Oh, The Death of Stalin, that Armando Iannucci movie about the death of Stalin, that, like the kind of Veep-ish movie that came out a couple years ago. That was a secret screening. Like, people didn't yeah. know what that was, but it always has buzz around it, right? And so those movies only generally show once. You want to prioritize those, or if you don't give a shit, you don't give a shit, right? But something like this, that's, you know, kind of vying for attention they're going to show this a couple times so if you don't see it in the first half you'll probably be able to see it in the oh, second right. half or whatever so i think what's strange about fantastic West, and this is all wordy and very inside baseball is they're essentially like the five different time slots but it's like say 12 to 3 p.m is one right so like there's just you're going to see a movie in there but it might start at 12 it might start at one depending on the runtime and generally speaking nothing really runs over except for a movie like Nymphomaniac, that Lars von Trier movie that Shia was in, like, that was so long, they did the director's cut, like, the both versions together, and that, if you saw that, like, covered two different time slots. And oh, so, wow. <laughs> it's, it's, it's just really kind of, like, schedule Jenga, in a way, where it's like, what do I want to see? I, I know that, like, this movie, like, I'd love to see it with this crowd, but it's going to be in theaters next weekend, and I don't have to see it here. I'd rather see something that, like, might come out in a year or whatever, right? So it's all gotcha. just, it's kind of guesswork and just what you're excited to see. And, you know, if you have friends going to the show with them, like, what they want to see too, right? So. I mean, sounds fun. Again, I know we're not in a real live festival mode anytime soon, but... Uh, yeah, I mean, I've always been intrigued by it, and yeah, I just wanted to ask, and because I'm curious, like, you know, how you stumble into this film. I think it was just like a, oh, Christmas movie? Yeah, okay, cool, that's enough. <laughs> it's enough for me. 
So any uh, moments that really stood out to you before the whole twist? I mean, we get to see the parents, right? The mom's a little homophobic, but whatever, because <laughs> the dad likes certain ornaments. Um, but there's a, like little clues and like something might go wrong now that I look back. Like the fact that the kid still sleeps with that fetus machine, kind of weird. But was there anything else that intrigued you in the first, I guess, third of the film? Well, I like that they set things up. Like, they set up the pencil for the end of the movie. They showed that early mm-hmm. on. Like, the, the fetus machine and the pencil thing, it seems like he's faking that. Like, he's trying to... He's building up years-long goodwill or something with his mom. Like, look how innocent I am. I still want to be, like, I'm in your womb. And, like, I sleepwalk. So, you know, it's just... It's weird little quirks that I think cumulatively add up to the... He couldn't possibly be a murderer. He, like, still, like, sleeps with the light on, essentially, right? So it's things like that. But the weirdest part, I think, of the first half hour is, like, how proud he is that he can hold his liquor. It's like, dude, who are you trying to impress? Like, I get it, but, like, you're drinking probably shitty champagne. I just didn't understand that, but it's one of those things, I guess, like, when you're a 12-year-old boy, you're like, I bet this girl's gonna think it's cool. It's like, no, like, you just that just seems sad. Luke? Lucas, what are you doing? Oh, you what? No, you are way too young to be drinking. Give me that. Oh, this? Yes, that. Give it to me. Lucas, stop. What has gotten into you? One time me and Garrett drank a whole bottle. He puked so bad. He can't hold his liquor like me. Wow, I'm super impressed, okay? Now give it. Lucas, I'm so serious right now. So do you think that the murder... Well, not murder. The... I don't know. No, he's a murderer. and... Yes, okay. But do you think that like the, that whole setup was his backup plan the entire time? Or do you think he just, this was on the fly? Like, that's something that I wasn't too clear about. Maybe if I watch again, it would be more clear. Because again, we already established that his original plan is just to set the whole home invasion angle up, defend her, and then have sex with her, for lack of a better word. How old is he? He's not a high He's schooler. 12. She's the high schooler here. Yeah, so he's a middle schooler. She's the high schooler. She comes over to babysit while the parents are probably at a Christmas party. I forgot exactly what they say. And she's kind of occupied with her current boyfriend and, I don't know, other stuff, like like a teenage person would be. And he's trying to put moves on her. He tries to cuddle with her. It's gross. And that's when I was like, I don't know. I don't like this boy. Yeah, he's relen- he's relentlessly her. hitting on her. Yeah, and it's not cute. Especially since, like, she seems to be, like, his go-to babysitter, right? Like, it's not like, mm-hmm. oh, I had her one time before. Like, she's a friend of the family. Like, she's like, I didn't want to leave without saying goodbye or whatever, right? Like, she's been around a lot. The dad likes her. Both the parents like her. So she's been there a lot. She knows this kid. And it just feels extra. Like, I think that's maybe the first hint that, like, this kid's got some weird stuff going on because essentially in a way like a big sister like he's just like let's fuck it's like guy stop it yeah yeah oof and i think they're trying to hint at for first time watchers that it might be either the boyfriend or an ex-boyfriend or someone who's into her you know who's going to invade the home but uh you know it ends up being well again the fake one ends up being the friend so i guess my question is do you think he had this as his backup plan to taper to stuff, or do you think he's just doing this all on the fly? Ooh, I think probably plan A would be just to get her drunk and, like, have sex, whatever, like, hook up with her, like, just without any of the home invasion, and then plan B is the fend off the attacker, 
and then I guess Plan C, I don't know whether he, he had it all mapped out or not, but he does seem like the kind of kid who, like, would have the contingency plan. Like, mm-hmm. if we're found out, like, I'm going to fuck over my friend because who gives a shit anyway? Like, I'm a psychopath, right? Like, I think he probably had three different tiers, and it seems like he, I don't know that he wanted to do option C, but if option C meant him having sex, even, you know, rapey sex, like, you know, raping his baby, like, I... I don't know. Like, it's hard to get inside the mind of a killer. Like, I feel like we need Alex Schroeder on here just to be like, hey, <laughs> what's going on? What's Nancy Grace got to say about this? <laughs> I feel like she would enjoy this film if she hasn't seen it. I think so. That moment, though, when uh, she kind of gets mad at him for the fake home invasion, and then he just slaps her and she falls down the stairs, I audibly gasped. I was like, oh, what the? <laughs> you know, like... <laughs> I should have seen it coming. I did not see that coming. And I was like, oh my God, where is this movie going? You know, not that I support what he did, obviously, but I was like, this little shit. Are you kidding me? We can't be fans of him after this point, right? And of course, when she wakes up, you're like, nope, he's the bad guy. Yeah. You know, you know, you use the term psychopath, right? Like one of the weird things about this film is how much he is that or whatever the proper term is. I don't know, but how much he just seems to be taking pleasure out of everything that's happening in this home. And this, like, pan kid is so sinister with his approach. I think he does a really good job. He's likable and cute in a way that's, like, uncomfortable early on, Mm -hmm. and then he flips that switch. You're like, oh, God. Like, he's believable in just how absolutely sinister he is. What I also liked about this, in in comparison to another movie we talked about, is that it's a very similar kind of setup to The Babysitter, the Samara Weaving one, but in reverse. Like, instead of The Babysitter being this, like, cultist killer, it's the reverse, right? Like, The Babysitter's actually innocent here. Like, she is archetypally in most horror movies, but instead of, you know, there's the same dynamic, right? Like, younger boy in love with beautiful older girl, beautiful older blonde girl in both these cases, right? But in The Babysitter, she's the leader of this cult who's trying to sacrifice him, and here he's like, oh no, I'm actually, you know, Jeffrey Dahmer, or like John Wayne Gacy, or something, you know, like the next whoever. Absolutely. Like, another clue we get is his best buddy when he steals the, not that they're like, you know whatever i'm not saying oh because he smokes weed he's a bad kid but when you see him in the uh in the bathroom and he's stealing pills you know you're like oh these kids are kind of into a little bit more r-rated stuff than i thought they were you know and you think it might be just a friend or whatever but i know luke is much more sadistic than garrett i don't think garrett's sadistic I think he's just like a kid with maybe some problems. If you're doing Oxy at 12 years old, you probably have problems, you know. But there are little clues there that these aren't just two innocent kids talking about their pretty babysitter. And as we move along in the film, I just love how the dynamic kind of changes between Garrett and Luke. Because in those earlier scenes, Garrett seems, at least that's the way a filmmaker's showing us, he seems like the more dominant one. You know, he's like, oh, don't do this, don't do that. You know, in a kidding way, but, like, he seems like the rebel, whereas Luke seems like the goody two-shoes. He seems like the street smart one, and I think their friendship dynamic is an interesting one. It's unclear who holds the advantage. If early on, because I agree with you, that, like, it seems like Garrett is kind of the cooler kid, but I don't know why Garrett would go along with the whole home invasion unless he, like, was just trying to get his, trying to help, like in, like, you know, 12-year-old speak, like, help his friend get some ass or whatever, right? Like, they're like talking about early on. So I think he's in it to a certain extent. I mean, I don't know that I ever would have been, like, 
hey, like, let's fake a home invasion so you can score with your babysitter, but I'm also not stealing pills out of my friend's mom's exactly. cabinet, right? So, like, I don't have that mindset even there. And as the movie goes on, and, like, Luke goes even more insane, Garrett's like, well, I'm still, like, helping you out, but, like, I don't feel good about any of this anymore. No, Garrett's definitely a risk taker, but he's not to this level, because I think he's just probably a normal kid who's done some bad things and it's continuing. And, hey, when you when you grow up with a friend who ends up being you know, a cold-blooded murderer, essentially. What do they say? Like, your friends are the most influential people in, in a child's life. Like, you're probably not going to have some good uh, instincts, if you will, if you grow up with a guy like Luke. We just don't see it yet. And I think because we're, we're falling in, like, at least the first time we watch it, we're falling into these kind of tropes. Mm-hmm. Or I'll just speak for myself. That's what I was doing. I was just reading the horror language that I know. And I know maybe I'm not a novice anymore, but I'm still amateur status, you know? But I think even with that in mind, though, I think this movie still goes to places that even I'm surprised at. Like, at the end, when Luke kills Garrett for, like, kissing on the cheek his girl, like, I'm like, oh, shit, like, this is crazy. Like, even Mm -hmm. somebody who has seen more horror movies than anybody ever really should, like, there's still points that Luke is willing to go, that the screenwriter and the director are, like, willing to take this character. You're like, oh, I know he's a psycho, but, like, I underestimated just how psychotic he actually is. Absolutely. So when she wakes up from that fall, she's duct taped to a chair, and the way he's behaving with, like, the gun and all that shit, like, it's really, really creepy. But I think the movie, like, ups another level when they think, or at least Garrett thinks that she invited the boyfriend, but it turns out that Luke invited her boyfriend because he hates him because he hates any other guy who's with her, essentially. I don't know, like, it's kind of weird. Like, if he wanted him to be there, I I guess he was just setting up to knock him out, right? To concuss him? Because Garrett is playing along, or or I guess because he believes it. Garrett believes that he's not supposed to be there, so Garrett is... You know, he threatens him with the gun to try to get, essentially, I don't know what his plan was, but he's more in panic mode. But then Luke just sneaks up, you know, behind him and knocks him out with a baseball bat. He ends up being duct taped to the chair as well. And just the the dynamic, I love the dynamic when they're both duct taped to the chairs. Them essentially trying to escape, but especially uh, the babysitter, her name, Ashley. Especially Ashley's trying to play mind games with him. And some of them are actually working and some of them aren't. In terms of just trying to get out, or when she has the shard of glass, she's trying to mm-hmm, cut herself mm-hmm. out. I love the drama that's happening there. Like, I think what is cool that the movie does is that the movie still reminds you, like, yeah, this kid's a psycho and, like, is actually kind of scarily good at planning and prepping, but, like, he's also just a dumb 12 year old boy. And her, like, kind of flirting with him throws him off enough to be like, oh, wait, maybe maybe this is working. And I think that she's, you know, not that a 17-year-old girl is, like, the smartest person in the room, but, like, you know, she's way smarter than he is, even if he's, like, a psychopath. Like, he might have figured out, like, four moves ahead, but she's still, like, I know how to, like, psych this kid out, right? Like, she easily manipulates Garrett later in the movie, so I think the they utilize the age gap well enough that when she's, you know, tied to the chair with the duct tape or, like, wrapped up with the Christmas lights or whatever, she's able to still even with in a position of no power still kind of have more power than like she should just because like at the end of the day they're still dumb 12 year old boys i mean that's a really really good point and i i definitely see that throughout the film and i like that i think you and i have both probably seen horror films where there's maybe a younger person who's the killer and once they turn like the killer mode they're almost wise beyond their years. Yep. We don't see that here. It's believable. I mean, maybe a little bit of a stretch, but like it's believable how he could have had 
like this master plan where he has the ex-boyfriend come over and he's going to frame it all on him. And like, he has enough control over the variables leading to that point. Like he can get away with most of the stuff. Like, I think that it's within the realm of possibility that he could do all of this, but he's not, to your point, like he's not infallible. He's still a dumb boy who like doesn't have all the variables in play. And that's what kept me in here. That's what kept me like being very intrigued on his next move because I didn't know he was going to succeed. In fact, like I think you mentioned though, the levels he goes in this movie, I was even shocked that he was doing it. Not that I felt like it was unrealistic for him, but you feel at any moment she could either break out or she could outsmart him and end the plan. And again, he's really really successful in the end. Now I know in the end in the end end He's probably going to get screwed over here, but barely, essentially. You know, if he's thinking of this on the fly, he's really good at what he does, but as a child, not as, again, someone wise beyond their years. What do you think of the whole fucked up Home Alone paint can thing? Uh, God, why am I keep forgetting this guy's name? Well, because they're all, they're all just generic ass names. It's the problem. <laughs> <laughs> yeah you're right luke he he takes the boyfriend and puts him on the stairs and earlier garrett and luke had a couple conversations on home alone the realistic nature of dropping a paint can down the stairs and hitting someone in the head and luke takes so much pleasure in testing out this experiment and they do it with the boyfriend ricky uh what do you think of this whole paint can essentially smashing his head exploding it and just that red and yellow mixture Ooh, you painting something we're going to see who's right once and for all. Mythbusters style. Tis the season to be. Hey, Garrett, in Scouts, where Clove hitches clockwise or counterclockwise? Clove who? Never mind. Got it. Got what? Dude, what the fuck is going on? Dude, I have no idea. What the fuck, man? Oh, and you're fucking home alone again? Dude, what are you doing, man? Please let me out of this. Was it level with his head? What the fuck are you doing, dude? You're gonna kill him. Just stop it. Garrett. Garrett, right? Yeah. Please untie me. Okay. You said that the paint cam would knock him back, like in the movie. Uh, okay, look, I take it back. Everything I said, I'm sorry. You win. Just stop it, please. Let's just try it one more time. Ashley! Like, I think what's smart about this is that the cynic in a watcher could be like, oh, this is just like more violent Home Alone. So the director is like, I know what this is, or the writer or whoever, the combination of the two. Because I don't think, is the writer or the director, is it the same person or no? I don't think it is. Let me see. True. Let's the see. Writer... Director Chris Peckover, writer Zach Kahn. Oh. Okay, two different people. Zach Kahn. It just does say Chris Peckover in some places. On, I'm sure he just did a little addition. Right. You know, who knows? So, like, but, yeah, I like Zach Kahn is the writer. I like that they're smart enough to be, like, to kind of cut people off at the knees and, like, we know that you're going to compare this to Home Alone, so we're literally going to talk about Home Alone and do a thing in that movie because I think there have been probably deconstruction. I'm sure. I'm, I think there's got to be because there's millions of videos on YouTube, like deconstruction of the the stuff in Home Alone of like how many times should Harry and Marv have died, right? And so, oh yeah, I think what's 
fun in a way about this is that it's contained to the house, right? Like they don't have to go outside or anything. It's in the house. It's conceivable that they just have a paint can and a bunch of rope. It's all very doable and it's cheap to do. Like you don't see his face. You just see like a wham and then it's just like yellow and red everywhere, which again, he says you look like a hot dog. So shout out to Keanu Club. Shout out to Dream <laughs> to Believe and Hot Dogs. <laughs> I just think it's smart that they reference a thing that people are going to compare it to and like, yeah, we know, but we're doing something different, right? So I think it's cool and I think it's gross. And I think it's also kind of like, I remembered that. I didn't remember him shooting Garrett. I didn't really remember him like ruthlessly stabbing Ashley at the end. But like that, I remember because I'm like, that's like the big kind of like, if you remember one thing about this, it's like, oh yeah, the paint can thing does kill people. And I do love, have I watched Gore? Yeah, I'm not the biggest Gore guy. But I do love that they didn't show it and they just let me get grossed out by the, you know, ketchup and mustard colors, if you will. Because, I mean, I don't know. I think there's an art to that as well because it's gross and in your face, but subtle at the same time. They didn't show a head exploding. What you imagine is is always going to be worse. Yes, yes. That's a great way to put it. So I I thought it was a great artistic touch. Yeah, I mean, what other scenes did you want to talk about before we got to our ending? I guess we should mention the ex-boyfriend showing up, right? That was kind of that was kind of interesting. What were your thoughts on this? I think it's a beautiful part of the plan. Okay, so the movie kind of portrays him as like this dumb bro, like liar, right? Because she broke up with him because he was talking about how they had sex and they didn't, and she like felt betrayed or whatever. And so he shows up and like, for lack of a better word, I know this is maybe not political, like stereotypically like a wigger, right? Like I don't know if that's okay <laughs> to say anymore. Uh, probably not. But like you know, just like had a skew and like very clearly trying to show that he's hood and streetwise and whatever, right? But I've been saying I actually thought about that the other day because it's a trope that happens a lot in like early two thousands high school films. But I've been saying white gangster, white gangster. Okay, yeah, like uh, what is it? Jamie Kennedy? No, who was the one? Like who is who kind of popularize that is there an archetypal high school figure like I don't, oh, now who's most wanted wise, we can call it that yeah is he in high school oh my god is he i don't he? know about that, but I, I don't know. that, that sounds like a, a chris carroll episode point. if he is <laughs> or a cousin pumpkin there's a couple ones that that could go there's something about that stereotype in the early 2000s that you see it in a lot of high school films like the friend happens to be that it's really weird um even and I, we didn't talk about it on our I'm speaking of Cousin Pumpkin. We didn't talk about it on our Big Fat Liar episode, but there were a couple background characters just like that. So, yeah, I mean, <laughs> sorry. It works because it's a shortcut, right? Like, you see him, you know what he is. Because this movie, we haven't said, is 89 minutes. It's very brisk. It's very, It goes by very quickly. I think without credits, it's like an hour 24. There is a credit scene in the middle. Did you see that? No, no. Oh, man. We're we'll talk about to... that. But Yeah, we'll have to talk about that. He's portrays personified as a liar and as a not as like a bad boyfriend right and then he shows up looking the way he does like malibu's most wanted and you're like oh i get who this guy is and so i think ascribing the intention and the meaning and the type of that person would be or whatever it's like well why does he believe that this 12 year old is like the liaison between me and the girl <laughs> that supposedly texts it's like he's stereotypically dumb enough to be like, oh, yeah, I guess that makes sense. I, yeah, sure, whatever. He's clearly thinking, too. He's uh, thinking with sexual motivations as well, I'm assuming, right? Right. Like, oh, this is how she wants to communicate? Okay. He doesn't have this clearest head right now. I thought that as well. And it's funny in this scene, and you mentioned, like, we're not supposed to root for this kid. At least I don't think so. But they present this dude, and 
you know, you put it in a very interesting way. You're right. Like 99% of the audience sees this guy and they're like, I don't like this guy. You know, are you rooting for him in this scene either? I don't know. I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but if anyone like had to die, I'm okay with this guy dying. (laughs) You know, he seems like an asshole. I mean, there's a certain point in this movie, which is a scene we've not talked about yet, but the truth or dare scene is a scene where I feel like you're like, oh, there's no coming back for this kid. Because they had very clearly, it seemed like, before this, said, truth or dare, dare me to touch her boobs. And it's like, this is gropey and rapey in a way that, like, uh-huh. is not okay. Like, the fact that he had been, like, drunk, quote-unquote, drunkenly, like, putting his hand on her leg and, like, trying to kiss her, like, that's gross and unacceptable and whatever. But, like, when she's literally bound and can't defend herself, essentially telling your friend to dare you to molest her, it's like, oh, this is, like, we're done. Like, this kid's done. So, like, I don't know who you're rooting for in that scene outside. I guess for the ex-boyfriend, even though we know that he's a bad guy, but we're only rooting for him because he's not a rapist and a murderer. Like, it's just, like, the lesser of two evils? Like, douchebag is better than... Yeah. (laughs) Oh, man. I mean, I'm glad you brought up the truth or dare thing, just to you know, bounce around a little bit. That's a scary scene, too, because that's where you start to see the seeds that he doesn't really give a shit about Garrett. Garrett's like, oh, why can't I do anything? And he's like, you know, oh, because she's my babysitter and stuff like that. It's, it's like really, really creepy, that scene. Very uncomfortable, but in an effective way. Yeah, for sure. You know, you make a good point, though, because that scene, I think, is there because we have to, at this point, know that we're not rooting for this kid. And it really, really, really presents all the evidence why we shouldn't be rooting for this kid. Yeah, he's a terrible human being. Terrible. And I hope he's caught because if not, he is going to be a serial killer. Not just with this home here. It's going to expand if he ever goes to college or something. So, you know, let's talk about, I I guess, the ending at this point. Sure. Like you said, it's a really short movie. Garrett and uh, Ashley end up having, like, you know, talking and... There's a point where he's... Do you think he's going to save her at that point? Or, like, I don't know. He's definitely sympathetic to her. There are moments where he he literally is asking Luke, like, oh, she's right, we could get out of this somehow. Like, he's looking to come out unscathed at some point, right? But, I don't know, I think he kind of turns him. And when he gives her that kiss, bam! Oh my god. Like, I love how he doesn't kill him right away. He shoots him twice, yeah, right? Yeah, he shoots him, like, knocks him off. And what I also think is funny about this and keeping things in perspective is that both in this scene, I think, and, like, the first time we see him, Luke's voice is cracking. Like, it's like, this kid is literally going through puberty yeah. as we're watching this movie, and he's, like, squeaking, like, I can't believe that you would do this to me. And I don't know that Garrett's going to let her let her loose, because I feel like he's probably just scared shitless of Luke, but I think he's in that moment essentially saying to her, I'm not going to let it go worse than this. Like, I'm going to do everything I can. Like, I'm not going to let you free now, because I think we're both going to die if I do that. But, like, I will do my best to stop it from going further than this. Like, I think in that moment, they kind of have, like, a heart-to-heart there. But before they can do anything, shoots the knock him off voice squeaks, walks over to him, kill shot. It's like, whoa. Oof. Oof. And I love how you brought that up. He is doing, like, the most brutal adult I get not a proper adult, but like the most brutal thing you can do. And he's doing it as a kid. I feel like it's two kids slapping each other in the pool or something, except it's way, way more serious. But that's how he's acting, right? Like, oh, I can't believe you kissed the girl I like. Fuck you, man. And like pushing like your friend into a yeah. pool or something. And it's like, whoa, you've taken it to the nth degree here. He's still a kid. He's yeah. still a kid, a very fucked up kid, but he's still 
a kid. And then, you know, not long after, it's the whole stabbing and throat slitting of her. But she has that great line. What does she say? Oh, he starts talking about, oh, you know, my mom, she used to tuck me in at night. And then she stopped. And I don't know why. And she's like, I know why. And she just doesn't tell him. And you could tell how much it irks him. <laughs> yeah, I love it. He wants to be holding all the cards. And he just he's enraged when he doesn't have all the answers. I love it. I love it. But honestly, shocked. Shocked when he ends up stabbing her and slitting slit yeah. her throat. I was like, whoa. Stunning. And you know, at that point, I'm like, she died. And this movie's going to end with him like covering it all up and everything being hunky-dory. And I don't know how I feel about that. And what is it, like five minutes of him covering everything yeah, up? Yeah, like ch- almost channeling his inner risky business Tom Cruise and like dancing around as he's like cleaning up the crime scene and framing the ex-boyfriend and like, you know, framing the suicide note and doing everything and even figuring out a way to like get the pencil on the door to prevent the sleepwalking and then almost getting found out outside. But like the movie without credits is like an hour 25. The twist comes at like 30 or 32. Then there's like 45 minutes of like, it's all very quick. Like most of the back half of him as the killer is like 45 minutes. And then there's like a five minute cleanup, right? And like, that's it. We're in, we're out. It's like, whoa, like, wow, that's so tightly wound. But yeah, like we're, you know, we're watching it now from his perspective because we think everybody else is dead. We're like, oh, we, in a weird way, got away with it, right? So, like, we're going to, like, take our time and dance around and, like, oh, we're checking our phone. Like, mom and dad are 10 miles away. We're fine. We're good. And it's just, it's a crazy, like, this fucker is going to do it. Yeah, and I think if there's one or two things he's like, oh, shit, about, or when he's on the roof and he's like, oh, these deer, stupid deer, whatever. So he still feels like a kid. Again, he doesn't, he never gets to that omnipotent murderer level. But he's still, again, looking like he's going to get away with this entire thing. At the end of the day, we learned as much as it was about Ashley, it was also about his mom. Because he seems like he's getting so much pleasure almost from his mom, like, holding him. Like, it's going to be okay. Mm -hmm. Like, don't worry. Because when they walk in, they just assume this was whole, like, crazy murder party thing. And he's innocent to the entire thing. And he's lucky to be alive almost. This is almost a, except that, which thank God, except that the fact that he didn't have sex with her. This is almost... Like, the biggest win of his life, essentially, until, like, that final moment here. Which, I'm like, they're really going to do it. They're really going to end this movie like this. Yeah. These motherfuckers. Mm -hmm. Like, sorry to curse like this, but I was like, oh, my God, what the hell? But I was so satisfied when they roll uh, Ashley out on that gurney and they're mentioning, oh, she survived. Smart girl. Yeah, put duct tape on the The whole time she's, she's duct taped, obviously. And she put duct tape on the wound. What does she like? Slowly raise her arm up and flips him off. Mm-hmm. I'm like, yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I was super satisfied with the way this ended. Hopefully, she's going to alert the authorities. Everything's going to be good. I hope she doesn't pass out from blood loss. I think he mentions like he wants to visit her at the hospital. So I hope he doesn't like finish her. Oh off yeah, there. that's that's the credit scene I'm talking about. So the credits start, and then he's like, "Mom, I want to go to the hospital. I'm worried about Ashley." It's like, oh okay, like that's you didn't miss anything. That was what I was talking about. Oh, okay, okay, cool. Yeah, there's no shawarma scene. And I must have just been confused because it didn't seem like there was too many credits before that happened. No, yeah, it's one of those like quickly like because I feel like this is the kind the movie that people are like oh it's done i can just switch away like it's the kind of one where like in theaters the lights don't come up it's like let's just stay in the dark because like we know there's more coming so it's probably maybe 30 seconds worth of credits and then it's not the full thing but yeah it's a separated like we see him get flipped off and panic movie ends like cut like hard stop and then like oh like mom i'm really worried about ashley gotcha okay okay so i didn't miss anything 
This movie, by the way, you could watch with with commercials on almost any platform. Oh, cool. Tubi and all the other ones that are like that. Yeah, by the way, our Too Fast, Too Forever episode that comes out today, Noel, which is a terrible Christmas movie, <laughs> is also available on literally every platform with ads. It's on Tubi, it's on Crackle, it's on Vudu, and it's on um, whatever the other big one is. Like, it's literally everywhere. It's like, oh, okay, so I guess that's just what happens to movies. I guess some of them, right? Like, and this was one of them that was there. So what happened was... That there was like a commercial break with like you know it's like two commercials, and then when it cut back to the credits, it almost felt like it was straight to that scene. So that's why it didn't feel that way. But yeah, okay, so that's good to know. Um, I hope he doesn't get away with it. I don't know if there's going to be a sequel. I, I saw online there's there's talks of it, but if you look at the just raw numbers, this movie barely made over a hundred thousand dollars. And I know you know three million dollar budget, it's not losing that much, but it's still not proving anything i forgot what movie i was talking about recently um damn what was it where the director just the director did shazam like his earlier movies oh yeah yeah yeah. Make, mm-hmm. just like similar budgets and making bank like that guy is gonna get other work i think this guy deserves other work because most people who saw this movie really really liked it so i hope this director gets another shot at something i don't know if he's done anything since but yeah i mean i left this movie and I think I've been saying this the entire time, but that first 30 minutes, I thought this was just going to be a run-of-the-mill horror film. By the end of it, I felt really good about the movie, if that makes sense. Yeah, I'm not going to just bring you run-of-the-mill horror stuff. I'm going to bring you stuff that I find interesting. Like, I'm not going to want to talk about a thing that I'm like, oh, yeah, it's fine, right? So, <laughs> Well, I don't know. I feel like sometimes uh, other people caricaturize you as the villain of High School Slumber Party. I know. But... We, have, uh, we have some harsh <laughs> words coming my way the last couple of months. <laughs> Well, you're a man of power on this podcast and this network. There's always going to be uh, attacks from the the common folk, if you will. You're on the Cage Club throne. I am. Heavy is the head that wears the crown. <laughs> All right. So uh, any other, anything else you wanted to bring up in regards to Better Watch Out? There was apparently, uh, I'm sure you read this too, that Selena Gomez wanted to play Ashley, but instead decided to focus on her music career. And I obviously love Selena Gomez from Spring Breakers. I think she would have been good here, but like Ashley, I think, you know, Olivia DeYoung is good, even though she does have that, you know, we just watched Lost, a lot of Lost for Too Fast, Too Forever, we were covering the Michelle Rodriguez episodes, and she has the same kind of angry voice that like when Claire, Emily DeRaven, like gets angry, she has that like Australian thing where it's like half American, half Australian, and like I felt like when yeah. she gets mad, like I can't describe it and I can't do it, but it's like, oh, you sound exactly like Claire when you're mad, like when you're speaking, you don't sound like her, but it's like that angry Half this, half that, where I'm like, oh, I've, I've heard that before. That's a common thing in, in, in accent stuff. Like, people say, like, accents could be flawless until, like, you get angry. Um, I've heard that a lot from uh, Americans who do British accents and, like, British people commenting on that. And you get it a lot with Australian actors or even the other way with, like, British actors and stuff. So, but you're absolutely right. I didn't notice it. I don't care that much, especially in a film like this. But I definitely heard that here. But you're absolutely right. Selena Gomez apparently was rumored to be in this. Even if she was going to be, I'm sure the thing that stopped it from happening was the moving it to Australia. Because she could probably still do her music if she's filming like two weeks in South Carolina. Probably a lot harder to go to Australia and do this. You're probably adding at least another week or two like on just for the flights and the adjusting to the time zone and like reshoots. And I'm sure like all the logistics just get more complicated when you're halfway around the world. Yeah, absolutely. Let's see in my notes quickly. No, nothing. I mean, I thought the image of it ended up being inconsequential, but I thought the image of Garrett holding that brick 
was pretty uh was pretty cool but again it ended up being so inconsequential because right. it was just part of the setup shall we just get to our awards sure Alrighty, so you know the awards mm-hmm. by now, but the f- first one we do is the Wooderson Award. Not a lot of characters here, so is there a character you would have liked to see more of? Well, I like the balance that the movie has, but I'm thinking, and as I was thinking about this, comparing this to The Babysitter, because I feel like it's spiritually the closest to what we've done, Ken Marino and Leslie Bibb are just so good as the parents. Like, I, I don't like these parents as much as those, but I like these parents a lot, and like maybe if we had... I, again, you don't want to cut away, but like you, you see them a couple times or whatever. Like remember, like in the Babysitter, I think it was either the first or the second one. Leslie Bibb giving Ken Marino like that really sad anniversary hand job or whatever. Like just like I gotta do this. <laughs> you don't want to cut away from the house because like you're, you you would cut the suspense dramatically. But if you're able to kind of have them in some way, I like them at the beginning. I like them at the end. I think the kids and, you know, the young kids, the older kids, whatever, I think they're all in there. And so if anyone, the parents, I just don't know how you do it. I don't know how you do it either, but I I tend to agree with what you're saying. I love it in movies when they cut back to the parents at a party not giving a fuck. We saw it in Adventures in Babysitting, but it happens in a lot of films, Mm -hmm. right? If you do it right, it can add tension. You know, a scene where, oh, they're about to leave the party, but someone at the party pulls them back. Oh, stay for a little bit. Like, I think you you can do it right. I'm not a director. I don't know how. But I'm in agreement with you there. I don't know. You just jogged my memory. You better watch out. This is not a traditional Christmas movie. But I I guess we didn't address enough all the Christmas elements that happen in here. A lot of Christmas music playing in the background. Uh, When she's tied up, there's that great image of her in the Christmas lights. Oh, I love that. And that's, you know, spoiler, that's going to be my sleeping bag. That's like the one, like the lasting visual I have from that. I think that's kind of a cool idea. But utilizing the season, right? Like, we talked about The Long Kiss Goodnight on Too Fast, Too Forever last week, and, like, I love that that's a Christmas movie because any movie that doesn't have to be Christmas that is, I really enjoy, but Mm -hmm. I feel like it's more wintry. Like, they don't really take a full advantage of, I think. Like, some scenes they do, but here, like, literally using, you know, the stuff out, like, the snow and the lights and everything, and I think it works really well. The fact that they're talking about Home Alone, you know, too, around Mm -hmm. Christmas time, the plastic Santa... And you're right, when they're outside with the other boyfriend, you see it all as well. Sorry, the ex-boyfriend, you see all the Christmas stuff as well. Uh, he gets... Wait, just backtrack a little. It was supposed to look like a suicide, I'm assuming, right? Yeah, so I think it was supposed to be like, Ashley, I'm so sorry, I hope you can forgive me, but I'm here to like kill all of you and then kill myself, right? And so, yeah, that's when he uses the lawnmower to like get the leverage and then just tie off the rope or whatever, so yeah. Gotcha. And, you know, that opening, right? We see like a great suburban Christmas setup. Mm-hmm. For all these homes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, uh, if you guys tuned in expecting more of a Christmassy movie, apologies. But visually, it's a very Christmassy movie, which which I love. Yeah, for sure. Sorry, you jogged my memory with that because the parents are probably, you know, I think they mentioned they're at a Christmas party. So uh, this would be the season for that as well. They're just not, like, out at a movie. They could be out a while because it's probably, like, once or twice a year that they go out to these kind of functions. Or that's what it at least seems like. Yeah, it's the same kind of thing with Die Hard that people love having that debate. I don't care. I think it's a Christmas movie. I love it. But it matters in a certain extent. Like, they're at the office still because there's a holiday party. Like, there's a reason for them to be there. Like, the movie's not about Christmas, but, like, that's why John McClane's in town, and that's why they're still all at the office, right? So it's one of those kind of, like, it doesn't have to be a Christmas movie. It came out in theaters in July, but at the same time, there's a reason, like, they're utilizing the time of the year to the script's advantage. By the way, I hate that argument when people say, oh, it came out in July. There are so many Christmas movies that if you look at when they came out, they did not come out around Christmas. Like, a ridiculous amount. Um, I looked it up once, and I was like, what? That's a pretty common thing. Again, I I think people say it's not a Christmas movie because 
it's not the Christmas movie they like or want it to be. But rewatching Die Hard, it's a Christmas movie. It, Christmas is important to the plot. It's not just something in the background. I mean, when Argyle's listening to Christmas and Hollis, right? Like, that counts, baby. <laughs> I was just talking about that with some friends of mine uh, from Queens. And it's like, it's so amazing that so much of the country and maybe the world is familiar with this little, small pretty insignificant neighborhood of queens called hollis just because of this christmas song yeah it's like what do you know about queens there's like hollis there's jamaica being like a you know born in queens yeah. guy uh, love, flushing you know i love queens right one of the most common things that i ever hear people in queens like talk about in terms of a movie is men in black really okay you know because they get the, like those things are spaceships in the movie that uh like these viewing towers in Flushing Meadow mm, Park. Okay. So anytime, oh, Men in Black, like that's the most common thing. Like, oh, I saw, like when people used to visit me at school, be like, oh, I saw the Men in Black thing. <laughs> like, really? Okay. <laughs> anyway, big sidetrack, but that's what we do on High School Slumber Party here. You know we couldn't get out under an hour. We know that's not going to I tried. Happen. It didn't uh, work. <laughs> or almost done, though. Long Duck Dong Award. Small cast, so maybe we don't have an answer here, but is there anyone you would eliminate from the film? No, I think they all serve their purpose. I think you get rid of anybody, the movie's off balance. Yeah, I mean, the closest to me might be the ex-boyfriend, but... I think you need the fall guy. Like, I think the boyfriend maybe shows up unexpectedly, because I don't think he was... I don't know. You know, like, I feel like that might be a variable, but you need someone... I think part of his plan is to have it to pin it all on the ex-boyfriend, right? So I think he needs to be there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He just drew him in, so I'm with it. It wasn't anything where I'm like, what the hell is this guy doing here? Again, small cast, modern movie. If you've listened these past couple weeks, we're not finding too many Long Duck Dong Award winners. we got to go back in the 80s and 70s and find the real unnecessary characters. Cameron Fry Award. Nope, nobody. Tough one, too, because there's not too many high schoolers here, so uh, zero, goose egg, all right. (laughs) Because, like, the kids like the kids might be look too old for 12, but that's not the question here, right? Like, they're all just middle school-ish, right? Or early high school. It doesn't matter. And they look, you know, Ashley and the boyfriend, the ex-boyfriend, like, they all look about high school. Like, I got no problem with this. And maybe the ex-boyfriend could look a little older, a little older, but it's possible he's not even in high school anymore. We don't know when they dated. Yeah, or maybe you know? he's still in high school and just, you know, shouldn't be, but he's still, like, you know, hung around because he doesn't, stereotypically doesn't look like he's good at school. That would make sense, too. Just like Mike's your fifth-year senior, right? Absolutely. And sixth and seventh and Mm -hmm. as far as as we go. All right. 89% on Rotten Tomatoes by the critics. Only 64 critics, but, you know, still certified fresh by them. A lot lower audience score, but not bad. Uh, 65% audience score. So less, but not crazy bad. I'm curious what the letterboxed is. Better watch. I think it's like a 3-3 three, three to the 3-5 somewhere there. Yeah, because I feel like this is more of a letterboxed movie than a Rotten Tomatoes 3-2. 3.2. Most common three, a 3.5 three, and, three, and three, then three, a 3 two. and then a 4. So yeah, most in that range. I'm not, I mean, we have some friends who say it's fine, but you know. <laughs> some former guests have said that. Sure. <laughs> but Joey, we don't care about them today. We nope. don't care about Letterboxd or Rotten Tomatoes. I, I have the report card in my hand. I'm metaphorically sliding it over the desk to you. I'm handing you the red pen. From an A plus to F scale, what will you grade? Better watch out. Give it a B. Solid B. Yeah. Actually, that's exactly what I had as well, and uh, that's not a knock. No. You know, maybe some people think it's a knock because I give a lot of A's here, but this is a solid, like, B. when I say B horror, you know what I mean. I don't mean B horror. I mean, this is a solid, good, fun horror film. Is it the best one I've ever seen? No, but I think it achieved everything it wanted to and needed to achieve. So bravo on uh, you know the, the director and everyone involved in this film. 
Really fun film. So thank you for bringing it to my attention and remembering that we didn't do it. Well, I didn't remember at all. You had to remember that for me. But yes, I'm glad. I'm happy to bring it here for you. And I am uh, glad that you enjoyed it. All right. You mentioned it before, but why don't you say it again for the official category? What does your sleeping bag look like for Better Watch? I think it would be candy cane striped. And on there, and I think this would probably be a fire hazard, but let's pretend it's the 80s for a second, and then we're not concerned about setting fires to kids. But it would be wrapped in red and white lights like she's wrapped in that would slowly (laughs) dim as I fall asleep. So it's like a night light that kind of goes dim, and like as they go out, I fall asleep. I love it. I love it. That is very creative. Thank you. Very great. Do you have one? It's tough. It has to be something Christmassy. I want to do something Christmassy. I don't know. Maybe something of like the plastic Santa variety. Okay. Like I want it to be of that quality as well on the outside, that crappy plastic. Oh, what I like about that is that it feels like in the first half hour, they're just pulling out all the cliches from every tropey high school movie. Like, oh, plastic Santa in the window. Oh, shiny knife or whatever, right? Like, just like they're not cohesive in their theme because they're just two 12 year old kids who are just trying to scare the shit out of this girl. They're like, oh, like, let's just put things in weird places and just try to scare her. But, like, it feels like every one of those is like, I've seen this before. And even if you're, like, not sure, like, I think if you know in your head, you're like, I, something feels weird about this. Like, this can't just be the movie because, like, it feels like I've seen all this before. I think that's kind of the point. Yeah, no, and once you see it that way, you're like, oh, okay. Otherwise, you're like, this is just going to be, like, a shitty, tropey horror film, you know? <laughs> Speaking of... Perhaps shitty tropey horror films, or not, depending on your taste today. No, sir, none of those. (laughs) You and I are in the magical, magical holiday-themed, or it doesn't have to be holiday-themed, but let's say it's decorated holiday-themed, at least. Uh, Blockbuster in the sky, with every movie that's ever existed, up until this day. We know we're watching Better Watch Out, but we get to the counter, we see there's a sale, and I say, I'm going to hold the place in line, Joey, head to the back, get two other movies, what three movies are we watching for our Better Watch Out Slumber Party? So there's one that I'm pretty sure, I'm almost positive I've recommended before, so I'm not going to recommend it today, but that's The Guest, which I think I've recommended before. It might be high school, I'm not sure. I think it's mostly college. There's the younger brother who might be in high school. Actually, I think he's in high school, but like it's a very, it would count, but it's kind of a technicality because like that's not what the movie's about. Do you know The Guest? Have we talked about The Guest? Yeah, you recommended it once. Okay, so it weirdly ends, and this is not a spoiler because I'm not going to say why, but there's like two kind of hyper-specific things about the ending of that movie that are like the ending of this movie too. And it's like, oh, weird. Okay, so... I think it could work for your show, but it's like one of those, like, it probably is a stretch. I mean, it's one of my favorite movies, so I'm not going to say no if you want to talk about it. But it's not really a high school movie. Like, this isn't really a high school movie, but, like, it's at least it's high school kids, like, and that's it, yeah, right? Yeah, So Okay. The guess is just, it's, I'm like, hey, let's not get it. Okay, but here's two. So if you ever go to, and this is something we've talked about recently, and you've said that you've had the idea and people have asked you about it, but if you ever do High School Slumber Party colon the college years, I'm going to pull rank and do like a Hudson Five for myself, and this one movie is going to for sure be in it. There's a movie called The House of the Devil. Do you know about this? No, I don't. I don't think so. So Ty West, this was his first movie. He went on to do The Innkeepers. He did The Sacrament. He did a thing in VHS, like that horror anthology, and he did a movie with Ethan Hawke that's kind of like John Wick in the West, and I don't remember what that name of the movie is. But this is his first movie. It's called The House of the Devil. It stars Jocelyn Donahue, whom I love from this movie, whom I met at South By because of another movie that I went to see for her, and there's a whole story there, but I won't tell that on here. But... Is that... Wait, didn't... 
you, you might have told this story now. Maybe. Or is this a different... No, it's probably the story. Starlet you missed. Probably the story. Okay. I might have even recommended this movie before, but the reason I, I bring it up I think you had, actually. Is because it's a... Ba- oh, I, you know, I almost certainly did it on the Babysitter episode because it's about babysitters. This is my favorite Babysitter movie. It's a very slow burn horror movie. I'm going to recommend it here, but it's a college girl, so, like, it doesn't qualify for this podcast, but I'm still going to recommend it here, so deal with it. <laughs> okay. House of the Devil... I think you did recommend it, as you said, but I'm all for it. You can recommend again. Kate Hudson does it all the time. I'm also going to uh, claim, if you ever do the college years, I want The House of the Devil, I want It Follows, and I want Everybody Wants Some. And I'll come up with two more so I can have a, a Hudson 5 for my own. But, like, those are the big three, I think, that I want to do for sure. But House of the Devil, for sure. Like, I've recommended them before. I don't remember, but sure. The other two you just mentioned, if you were just like, Brian, what other movies do you think I want? I would have known. Because the way you talk about those two films... I don't know your letterbox top 50 by heart, but I'm sure they're in your top 50. Yeah, those might be like in my top 10 all time. Like, Everybody Wants Some is just like, I think maybe the most watchable movie that's ever been. Like, I just fucking love that movie. And it follows as <laughs> probably my favorite horror movie. So, you know, they're all college, they're not high school, but, you know, that's that's my sweet spot. Oh, also Happy Death Day. But I'll have uh, Mike, Mike Manzi can be on that because he loves that the way that I love that. So, another college movie that I can lay claim to. Okay. The other one, I don't think that I've recommended to you. If I did, I'm sorry, but this is all rehashes. Have, do you know about the movie The Night of the Hunter? The Night of the Hunter? I don't think so. So it's the from, like, 1955? The... Oh, definitely not. You definitely have not recommended this film. Okay, so The Night of the Hunter, it's a Criterion movie. I watched it last year because it's a, ho- it's a Halloween, it's a horror movie. The reason I mention it here is because it ends at Christmas. And so it's not really a Christmas movie, but it's kind of a Christmas movie. So it's directed by this guy, Charles Lawton, who only directed this movie, and that's it. And this movie was kind of, like, criticized at the time for different things. And, like, in retrospect, it's like, holy shit, this is amazing. So it's about this guy who's a serial-killing preacher, okay? And he's in prison with this guy who's going to get killed. And this guy is like, look, I had this wife and these kids. I robbed a bank. There's $2 million. I hid the money. So this guy gets out of jail, goes to find this family. And, like, his whole thing is, like, seducing a wife, robbing her for everything, killing her, whatever. So this movie is him going to this family and these kids finding the money and like these two like 10-year-old kids have to like defend themselves effectively and like escape from the tyrannical like murderous serial killing preacher. It is amazing. Like this movie is 65 years old and like feels like it's from I don't know, it's in black and white. It's like it's, it's hard to like it didn't come out today, but like if you're like it came out in the 70s or the 80s, you're like yeah, okay, but like it's from 1955 and it's amazing so the night of the hunter i highly highly recommend it again i don't know if anyone's recommended this movie on the podcast but someone has definitely talked to me about this movie because i just remember it from uh that yeah the guy charles lawton it's the only movie he directed yeah so great you know excited i feel like he might have co-directed or something like that's his only credit on letterbox but i think he did like one other something or other because when mike and i were doing cinemakers in between seasons we had on nick jenkins the host of the now rest in peace podcast real bad but we would have him on to do like a one-off where it's like we talk about two movies from one director and like just compare and contrast them like instead of doing like a series about like Soderbergh's 25 movies or whatever it's like one episode two movies let's talk about it and I remember him being one of the ones that Nick recommended I'm like I don't know who this guy is sure whatever and then I watched this movie I was like holy shit I bet that's this guy because like all the things like I think he was like gay and like ostracized for that like there's this whole like weird unfortunate backstory of why this movie isn't huge but holy shit it rules like it's so goddamn good i don't know but again i'm looking it up now crazy i love things like this i hope they never get lost in the annals of time because 
amazing. It looks cool. Um, well, great choices, I think. Thank you. Appreciate it. You didn't go the Christmas direction, and that's totally fine. Well, one, I mean, it ends on Christmas. That's why I bring it up, because it ends, okay. the final scene is at Christmas. Yes, but you didn't pick, like, Home Alone 2. Sure. Or... Yeah, no. <laughs> you know, the really obvious Christmas direction. I will also say, and it's not exactly a the same way as a Christmas movie in that, like, the Night of the Hunter is, but I just rewatched The Apartment, and The Apartment is another amazing movie. There's a lot of problematic stuff that doesn't quite hold up in terms of, like, how we treat women, but it's also from 1960s. Like, that was a different time, but that's a Christmas movie. That doesn't really feel like a Christmas movie, but that's another great movie. So if you want another Christmas movie, that's not one of my official picks, but if you're out there and you're looking for more alternative Christmas, if you're like, I can't watch It's a Wonderful Life again. I just cannot watch it. Like, it's a great movie, <laughs> but I watch it every year. Go watch The Apartment. Billy Wilder. It's great. So, but what is your favorite Christmas movie, though? Is it The Apartment? My favorite Christmas movie is either probably Die Hard or maybe Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Ah, yes. The uh, the Lewandowski household. What a fun before Christmas night. Let's watch Kiss Kiss Bang Bang and Die Hard. I love it. I'd be into that. Two movies that... I, I wouldn't say they're my favorite Christmas movies, but definitely two movies that I very, very much enjoyed the first time I watched them and today. Well, I don't know the first time I watched Die Hard, to be honest with you, but as a kid, I enjoyed Die Hard. Yeah. It, that it was the TNT version, but that's okay. I'm just looking up Christmas movies because, you know, we're, I'm, we're not going to get out under an hour. Let me just look it up. Christmas movies like, you know, Home Alone is great. It's a Wonderful Life is great. Nightmare Before Christmas is good. It's like, you know, I like a lot of the classics. I don't like A Christmas Story. I'm not a big fan of Elf. Like, there's stuff that people love that I don't, but... They're, you know, traditional alternative Christmas. Just give, throw Christmas in a movie, like any Shane Black movie, The Long Kiss Goodnight, which we just watched. Like, it's great. I love it. How about uh, Love Actually? Are you a Love Actually fan? I've never seen it. <laughs> I, I'm going to do a special edition podcast next year. It's just going to be you and Kyle live watching Love Actually. Wait, has he never seen it or does he love it? I think he loves it. I, we talk about it a lot, so I'm pretty sure he loves it. But I don't think he seems like the guy who would love it. Uh, so I think that would... I think that would be nice, a nice little holiday tradition. Well, hopefully, hopefully, uh, you know, we could. Well, obviously, you're going to be back on High School Slumber Party in 2021. And thank you for being on all these times in 2020. But hopefully in 2021, at a certain point, we could meet in person again. Maybe your barbecue is going to be happening in 2021. Who knows? I hope so. I have one friend who got the vaccine already. I'm sure your wife, if she hasn't gotten it already, is very high on the list because my friend is a nurse. And so he is, you know, important. He's a frontline worker. So I'm just, you know, I'm just sitting here alone, not catching COVID and just trying to survive until next year when I can like be social again because boy do i miss it and you recently also had a birthday so happy birthday i sure do well. thank you so much no top golf this year huh no no top golf this year unfortunately i do want to give a shout out to past top golf attendee who we just mentioned the foodie films man himself for hitting 100 episodes on this podcast and going out with a bang look at that yes uh just happened this week yeah yeah just happened this wednesday and you know a little christmas present for him and He's going to go away for a little while, and he'll be back better than ever. A lot of fun things happening on a cage club coming up in 2021. One thing Kyle and I just realized that, like, Hoffman hit 100 episodes at some weird time, you know, sometime this year that we didn't even realize. I think it was around Owning Mahoney rewatch. Cool, Because, cool. you know, we were just counting the rewatches as in when you combine them. Mm, so. Yes, yes, yes. And we're like, oh, shoot. <laughs> well, I will also, in terms of 100, just to quickly say, Mike and I just recorded The Croods 2 for Cage Club. That was our 106th episode, but it was his 100th acting credit. So shout out to Nicolas Cage. Kind of an inauspicious, like, sequel to an animated movie. You don't even see him, but 100 acting credits. So congratulations, Nicolas Cage. That's amazing. Right? That is amazing. 
I feel like, again, this network, 2020 was a, a year of change. Some shows went away. Some shows started up. Uh, excited for not just this show, but I'm excited for all shows on the Cage Club podcast network in 2021. Me too. That's a great sentiment to have. So where can people follow you, find you, Joey? And what is there a show that you do because you do so many shows is there one that they should be listening to or whatever you want to plug well the only active one we got going right now is too fast too forever which at the moment is every tuesday and friday today's episode is noel the paul walker susan sarandon alan arkin penelope cruz movie directed by Chaz palmentary which is not good but is kind of insane <laughs> robin williams spoiler plays a ghost who is like very clearly from the very first shot you see him like oh that guy's a ghost like he's not a real person and like there's a reveal it's like yeah of course he's a ghost like how did you not <laughs> see that coming but that's available everywhere so yeah tuesday and friday and then starting in mid-january we're back to just once a week so i think you and i will both be returning to once a week our shows but yeah too fast too forever spoiler alert but okay well you know you said it I've on a recent episode it. you said it with cousin Puck. you're like you know when i go back to once a week when you're talking he's talking about his monthly installment <laughs> yes yes no but yes that is true so you did not cover the noel that's on disney plus with anna kendrick no I, I like her i did not like that movie very much but she's adorable she's in great stuff this year she was in um dummy which was good which is a quibby series that's essentially a movie and she was also really good in love life on hbm max there's plenty of good anna kendrick stuff to go around also twilight yes of course how could we forget too fast too forever yep joe two will be on our Twilight series in 2021. Sure will be. Co-host on on that show. And uh, it's, it's going to be a fun 2021. I'm looking forward to it. And of course, people can follow you at, at, at your social media if you want them to. Yeah, at but Soul Popped not, Everywhere and cageclub.me slash Joey. Well, Merry Christmas, Joey. Hope you opened some good gifts this morning uh, uh, under your tree. Hope Santa was kind to you. Hope he brought you a lot of 4K Blu-rays. Well, thank you so much. I hope so, too. <laughs> All right. Have a good one, Joey. Thanks. Merry Christmas, Brian. Big, huge holiday season. Thank you to Joey Lewandowski for stopping by the slumber party on this most festive of days and talking better watch out. Really, really appreciate him and all he does for this show and the network. And by the way, those of you keeping score out there, yes, this was released on Christmas. I don't know what you're talking about, but stop being so centric in your time zone. It's still Christmas in California, I think. It's definitely still Christmas in Alaska, home of Kate Hudson. It's definitely still Christmas in Hawaii, okay? Mili Kalikimaka, I think that's how you say it. <laughs> well, I appreciate you guys so much. Merry Christmas once again if you celebrate. If you don't, once again, happy Friday. A lot of news I want to discuss today. He officially, he pronouns, Joey officially kind of dropped what we're going to be doing next year. I've kind of hinted at it, but I know we've been going twice a week. I've always said that was temporary. That was a pandemic measure, if you will, just to kind of keep my sanity. But I've been super busy, despite pandemic being very, very real still. Shout out to our healthcare heroes, as always. But work's been busy. Family stuff's been busy. So, I mean, look, I, if it was up to me, I would do high school slumber party every single day i really would but i edit this show i produce this show i host the show i book the guest i do everything so two week can be a little bit tedious again during pandemic when i was doing a lot less it was a lot easier i backlogged a lot of episodes but i think i want to slow the pace 
for 2021. So starting 2021, I think we're going to be once a week. I think. I know we're going to be once a week. At least for a little bit. Maybe we'll switch back to twice a week. Who knows? But let's see how the once a week goes again. But if I get lonely, if I start missing you guys, who knows what will happen. Just wanted to officially announce that. And of course, officially talk about our homework for next week. Well, you have two bits of homework. The first one, as I mentioned at the top of the episode, class participation is a huge part of your grade. And either today or tomorrow, I'm going to be asking you guys on our Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram if you have any questions for the aforementioned Kate Hudson, because we're going to have a Q&A episode coming down the pike. We're recording it very, very soon. It's a Twilight Q&A. So any of your Twilight questions, please hit me up at highschoolslumberparty at gmail.com or on our social media. Just hit me up. I'll, again, I'll post something on social media. You can answer to that. Get your questions to me. If you know me personally, send me a private message. Slide into my DMs. Text me. I don't care. We need questions for Kate because we're going to have a little Twilight Forever, you know, uh, tie some bows around the Twilight thing, usher in our next season of Twilight Forever. And yeah, there's going to be some surprises, but ask those questions. The other thing, your homework for next week, well... I have a lot of homework for next week. Monday, I'm going to have a really special episode where I'm going to talk about all the great teen films that came out in 2020. It's going to kind of be a year-end thing. We had a lot of films come out, believe it or not. Most of them to streaming services, and I want to tell you about them. And they'll probably get their full episodes later on, but I kind of want to do like you know a little recap show, and I want this to be an annual tradition. I love annual traditions. So tune in on Monday for that. Your homework is to watch as much 2020 teen films as you can. But if you don't get to all of them, your guy right here, Brian Rodriguez. And you know what? I might have my co-host, the other Brian Rodriguez, come by. You know, the host of High School Movie News. He might stop by, too. So check that out on Monday, wherever you get your podcasts. But, of course, at the flagship at cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. And remember, on this Christmas Day, life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop to look around once in a while, you could miss it. Let's leave you with one of the great Christmas queens, another song that was in the film. Brenda Lee's Christmas will be just another lonely day. Ah, 2020. Later, dudes, and Merry Christmas. It's over. Go home. Go.